Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. This morning we are going to be continuing in our sermon series in the book of Colossians. Uh, greater than, we're going to be looking at uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. And uh, we'll get there in a little bit, but just want to let you guys know if you wanted to open there, get to that space uh, before we turn there. So <laughs> we've been going through this book of Colossians and we've been seeing how Christ is central um, to all things uh, created and that Christ creates all things and he's in all things and he's for all things. And <laughs> this morning we're going to see how Christ is central uh, to our very lives. Now for some of you, uh, most of you actually know that a couple weeks ago my grandmother passed away and I was in Michigan uh, for the funeral. Um, and while there in Michigan for the funeral, one of the things that I did at the funeral of my grandmother was speak. And anyone who has kind of been to a funeral or who has had the kind of the privilege or the challenge of speaking at a funeral, especially for a loved one, there's kind of this like impossible challenge of putting to words and summarizing kind of an entire person's life. I mean, here, this woman that I had known for 27 years, I had to somehow summarize those years into a couple hundred words. It just seemed kind of entirely inadequate. But as I prepared and as I put those words together and as I thought on my grandmother's life, the thing that kind of came to the surface in anyone that has done this, the thing that kind of comes to the surface at a funeral when you're thinking about that person, that person's life, is what was central about them? What was central to their lives? What was the one thing that you would kind of summarize and say, this is who this person was? And I want us to think this morning is that when we eventually meet that day, when we're going to be placed in that box and there's going to be some people that come up and say some things about us, what are they going to say? What are they going to summarize our entire life by? What is it that they're going to say? And it's my hope that they would find central to our lives, that they'd be able to say that this person, before us this morning, before us this evening, whenever the service is that before us, this person, Christ was central. That their lives was completely transformed. That they were a life that was infected by Christ's Holy Spirit. That you couldn't be around this person without feeling grace and love and forgiveness and acceptance and mercy and joy, that they would look at our lives and they'd say that life was surely a transformed life, that they would move the celebration because that's what funerals are. They're a celebration often of our lives, that they would, instead of move, <laughs> instead of celebrating our life, that they would move the celebration off of our life and towards Christ and that they would celebrate instead of what we've accomplished in our lives, that they would move it to this place of what Christ has done in our lives. And so my question for us this morning is, what are they going to say? What are they going to say on that day about us? How are they going to summarize the entirety of our lives in a couple hundred words? And is Christ going to be the thing that's central to it? Now, there are a couple kind of indicators in our lives that we can kind of think about what is central to our life right now. If you're kind of trying to reflect and you're trying to think, well, what is at the center of my life? There's kind of three indicators that kind of tell us where our heart is at and what is central to us. And the first one is money. Where do we spend our money? Because where our money is, there our heart is also. The second thing is where do we spend our time? Where, what do we spend our time doing? What do we enjoy doing? Where do we spend our time? How is it spent? 
And then finally, what comes out of our mouth? Because it's out of the heart that our mouth speaks. And so when people are around us, what is coming out of your mouth? Is it constant complaining? Is it constant griping? Is it constant frustration? Is it words of peace? Is it words of joy? Is it words of affirmation, words that bring life? What is coming out of us? These are the things that eventually over an entire lifetime will add up to a couple hundred words being kind of proclaimed over us. And like I said, I hope this morning that our lives would be spent in a way and used in a way that brings life, that brings joy, and that brings a testimony, as we read in our Passing of the Peace, that we would be ambassadors to Christ, bringing reconciliation and joy and peace and love to everyone that we encounter. And I think that this is Paul's hope. I think this is Paul's hope here for us in chapter 2 of Colossians, that Christ would be made central to our lives, that he'd be central in the way that we establish our values, that he would be central in the ways that guide our thinking, that he would be central in the way that we conduct our lives from a day-to-day basis. And so I want us to read this morning this passage from Colossians chapter 2. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, and it says this, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, being rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world that are not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity of the body dwells, and you have been filled in him, who is the head and rule of all authority. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Uh, Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the day that we received you as Christ, as Lord, as Savior. God, we thank you for the work that you are doing in us to constantly transform us in your image. And God, I pray that this morning that we would recenter our lives, that we would consider the ways that we spend our lives, that we consider the ways that we seek to find value in our lives, that we would recenter it onto you. And that there we would find the hope, the joy, the peace, the life that we've been looking for and all these other places that we have been prone to wander. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace this morning. And we thank you that you are constantly welcoming us home. In your name we pray. Amen. And so this morning the passage begins with this invitation. This invitation kind of like where faith begins. And is this invitation that is received Christ Jesus the Lord. And for many of us in this room, especially this morning, we at one point, at one day, at one time, received Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. And when we received him, we received him in three ways. We made a confession that we believed that Jesus was the Son of God. We believed that Jesus was God who came down to earth, who put on flesh, who got dirty with us, who died on a cross, was buried and rose again. And we believe that and we accept that. And so we receive Jesus as the Son of God. The second way that we receive Jesus is that we receive him as Savior. We say that through his death and through his perfect life and through his death on the cross and through the resurrection, he has conquered death. And not only has he conquered death for himself, but he's conquered death for me and he's conquered death for you. And he's (coughs) put sin on a cross, making a spectacle of it, and that he has conquered death and wrath that we have rightfully deserved in our own lives, that he has put to death sin. 
And so we receive him as Savior, a Savior of our sin, a Savior of our, our eternal damnation and wrath that we rightfully deserve. We say that Jesus saved us from that. And so we receive Jesus as our Savior, received him as the Son, received him as Savior, and then finally we receive him as Lord of our lives. We say, God, I'm going to take a back seat and I'm going to listen to your commands. I'm going to follow your spirit. I want your spirit to infect me. I want your spirit to empower me. And I want to be able to go out and follow you and do your will wherever you have called me to go. And so we receive Christ as Lord. Do you guys remember that day? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that time when you did that? When you received him? Now, Whenever that was, whether that was a year ago or a couple days ago or years ago, life happens. And life, as we know, is not kind and it's not friendly and it's not easy. And through that time of life, from that moment in which we received Christ as the Son and as, Christ, as Lord and Savior, things get tough. And we kind of wander through this life. There's times where we are near to Christ, and there are times where we get far away from Christ. And there's times where we wander really far away from Christ. And so there's us who are here this morning who have been, I think, kind of in three different places. And maybe we're constantly shifting through these three different places, but there's those of us who have remained and who have been rooted, established, and built up. But then there's some of us who have been prone to wander and who has become kind of far off. And then there are those of us who, in our wandering, in our search, have decided to begin our journey back home. And so in our journey of being far and coming home, throughout this time of, <laughs> in which we received Christ, there's, there are these things that have taken us captive in our thinking, in our decision-making, in our value-making, and Paul warns us against these things. And he says that the things that we need to be on the lookout for after we receive Christ, or as we receive Christ, that we need to be careful that we do not be taken captive by philosophies and empty deceits, that we not be taken captive by the traditions of men, and that we do not be taken captive by alternative spiritual practices that are not in Christ. And so from that moment when we receive Christ and we kind of wander here and we wander there and we go to and fro and sometimes we're near and sometimes we're far. In those times that we find ourselves far, what I find is that we have <laughs> missed the warning that Paul has given us here and we've allowed our lives to be taken captive by these three things, by the philosophies, by the traditions, and by the spiritual practices practiced in our world. And so I kind of want to point these things out because I don't think that they're always super apparent to us. Um, the first one being philosophy. Paul warns us, do not turn to philosophies and empty deceit. And these philosophies are just kind of things that tickle our ears, kind of things that affirm our fleshly desires. Where we're like, man, it would be really nice to be able to go and do that, or my life is hurting in this way and I'm not finding the, <laughs> the peace and the calm that I would like to find in Christ. God seems far away. He seems distant. And so I'm going to turn to this thing that seems more near and more comforting, and we latch on to that. And it's a quick fix. It's a quick solution. And what often happens with quick fixes and quick solutions is that we end up getting disappointed. And what I find is that oftentimes in quick fixes and quick solutions, we end up turning to other quick fixes and other quick solutions. And so a life that has been taken by <laughs> false philosophy and empty deceit is oftentimes a life that's filled with constant transition. 
And so maybe you, your life has been this. Maybe you experienced this in your own life where you've transitioned from kind of vice to vice. Maybe you've transitioned from relationship to relationship, from community to community, maybe even from church to church. Always hoping that somewhere else you would find what you're actually looking for, that somewhere else would find the healing, that maybe this community, maybe this relationship, maybe this hobby, maybe this friend would actually bring the hope and take away the pain and the loneliness that we feel. The second thing of this philosophy is that maybe you haven't lived a life of transition, but maybe you've just like rooted yourself in. I think the opposite is from this transition is that we tend to root ourselves into something. We begin to become obsessed over one thing. And so maybe it's our job. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a relationship. But we plug ourselves into a, some type of substance. There's this great author, I can't remember who it was, but he said that we are all addicted to something. The question is, what is it for you in your life? And I think the question for us this morning is that if it's not Christ, then what is it? What is it that we are addicted to? What are we rooting ourselves into? And we just hope that this place, whatever we root ourselves into, that this place would eventually give us life. And the difficulty is that eventually we'll find that that will run dry and we'll become disappointed and we will be almost trapped, like it says, taken captive in by this thing that we once hoped would give us life and is now taking our very lives. The second thing that we get caught up into, and I think that this happens to many of us, is traditions, the traditions of men. And I would uh, simplify this, uh, this idea from Paul, this traditions of men, and just resort it down and boil it down to the idea of moralism. And the idea of moralism isn't always like this religious moralism, it can look like that, but I think moralism on a broader scope is this idea that we have to be right all the time, no matter the situation. We have to be right in our parenting, we have to be right in our politics, we have to be right in our dieting, nutrition, we have to be right in our knowledge, we just can't be wrong. It's this obsession of having to be right all the time. And it's not even just this idea of having to be right, but it's also this idea of turning up our nose in judgment against all of those that we deem as wrong. And I think that this is the great tradition of men, especially of our age, is that we love to be right, and we love to be right in the things that we believe that we're right in, and we love to look down, oh, do we love to look down at all of those people who are not as right as me. And this is our moralism. This is the moralism of our age. This is the tradition of our age, and it's rooted in this idea that, and I think at the core of this, and this core of like wanting to be right in every aspect and of our life is that like it's almost this idea that we feel like we have to prove ourselves. And some of us carry this idea of proving ourselves even to our God, that if we were just right enough in all of these areas in our life, that maybe God would love me. If I was right enough in just all these areas of life, maybe my children would grow up and they would love me and they would respect me and they would grow up and be productive, awesome adults. I'll tell you what, as a parent of a nine-month-old, they're going to disappoint you. Already. Do you know how much sleep I've lost? That is disappointing. <laughs> there are times where Justin is ready to go to bed and Benjamin is not. And I can't tell him, hey, hey, bud, it's bedtime. He's like, I don't care. I don't know what that means. It's party time. 
And so for as much as we want to be right, for as much as I would love to know the quick fix, and you know what happens is that because Benjamin's not falling asleep, I mean, the kid does not fall asleep till 11 or 12 at night. And we went to the six-month appointment, and the doctor's like, yeah, that's not awesome. And, you know, everyone that does the parenting thing, they're like, yeah, your baby should not be falling asleep that late. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we're doing something wrong. We're doing something wrong. But if you look at Benjamin's life, he's a healthy baby. He's a happy baby most of the time. I know you guys won't believe that he gets upset because he's so good here. He loves people. He loves being out. This is his place. But, man, tell you what, come visit us at 11 or 10, 11 o'clock at night, and the real show begins. But just know that in this place of trying to be right is this idea that we feel our inadequacies. We feel this depth in our heart and the depth of our soul that says that we are inadequate and it's our attempt to prove it and say, am I lovable? Am I good enough? Am I right? Am I worthy of love and acceptance? And all of these things that we try to find our, our identity in and being most right will find us ourselves incredibly, incredibly disappointed. The final place that we look <laughs> and, and oftentimes are captive in is in alternative spiritual practices. This kind of search for ultimate spiritual enlightenment. I mean, maybe you're having a really tough day and you don't know where hope is. I mean, how many people at some point in their life, maybe you can confess it, maybe you can't, I know I can't, I found more hope in a fortune cookie than I had the word of God. I was like, oh my gosh, this is fate that I received this fortune cookie today. I mean, this happened oftentimes in my teen and college years, but I mean, life would be so hard and it's like, and you are going to meet love. Love is going to, and I'm like, oh, yes, I need, you know. But we do. I mean, it's so quick. It's so easy to kind of advert to these alternative spiritual practices. And maybe for some of us, especially in Madison, it's not even like covert. It's much more overt in the sense that, I mean, there is meditation <laughs> practices happening around the city. There is kind of alternative spirituality on our doorsteps. And so it would be very easy for us in a time of need, in a time of trouble, to go have our palm read, to go have our Torah cards presented to us, to go meditate with other people who are meditating, trying to find ultimate spiritual enlightenment. And all of these things are not found in Christ. All of these things are not found in the hope that we have in Christ. But it's true that in our suffering and in our struggle, we wander. We wander. We wander to false philosophies and quick fixes. We wander into this place of trying to be most right so that we can control something in the middle of our chaos. We wander to alternative spiritual practices because we just feel like God is not near and God does not care and God does not love. And so we find ourselves adrift and Christ quickly becomes not the center of our lives. But I want you to know that no matter where you've wandered, no matter how far away from home that you've gone, no matter how far you feel like Christ actually is or doesn't love, I want you to know that he loves you this morning and he wants to invite you back home. And he wants to accept you. And he wants to be able to save us and remove those things that were once central into our lives. And he wants to replace it with him. So whatever is central to our lives, whether it's being most right, or whether it's this alternative spiritual practice, or whether it's this philosophy of quick fix vices. Maybe it's just Amazon. You're just like, you know, you feel empty and you're just scrolling through Amazon. Buy now. They have the buy now button. They even got these dash buttons where it's like you just click a button and in two days it's going to be there. And you open the package, you're like, oh, yay. 
all right, what else can I buy? You know? So whatever this is, whatever has become central to your life, Jesus has come to save us from it. And he's come to remove those hooks from our soul. He's come to remove those hooks into our lives. And I want to say this morning that there is no shame in our wandering. And I believe that many of us have wandered. Many of us have wandered far away. Some of us are returning home. But there is no shame in our wandering because we look at the lives that are around Christ and we see how he handles those who have wandered. And we see Peter, who denies Jesus three times as Jesus is being hauled away to his death. Peter, who a couple hours before said that, Jesus, I would die with you. And Peter begins to see the reality that death is actually going to be very imminent if you were to go with Christ. And he decides to do a 180 and says, nope, I'm not with him at all. And Jesus dies and he's resurrected and he meets up with Peter. And he says, Peter, I love you. I have incredible plans for you. Please go and feed my sheep. We look at the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes up to his dad and he's like, hey dad, I'd like my inheritance now. It'd be better if you were dead. And the father's like, all right, son, here you go. Don't blow it in one place. And the son's like, oh yeah, I've got plans to blow that in one place. And the son goes and he blows his money. And he's found and he is found destitute. He's found ashamed and He's so far away from home, but then he gets this idea in his head. He's like, maybe, maybe I could come home. Maybe I'll come home and I'll be a servant in my father's house. Maybe he'll hire me back. And so he begins this long journey home. And as he gets into the sight of the father, what does the father do? The father comes running and he comes embracing. And he doesn't ask the son why he doesn't have any shoes and why he doesn't have, any, why he doesn't have a shirt and where all his money went. No, the father says, here, take my best coat. Here, have a ring. Here, we're going to go kill the fatted calf and we're going to celebrate that this son of mine that was once dead is now home. So no matter how far away you've wandered, no matter what has become central into your life that's not Christ, know that Christ is ready to receive you back with love and grace. This morning, the invitation is still the same. Receive Christ Jesus as the Lord. So for some of us, if we've not done that, tonight could be, not tonight, this morning could be the time in which we receive him for the first time. It could be the moment of spiritual rebirth. And for those of us who have received Christ and have maybe wandered and Christ is not yet fully the center, today is the moment where we can receive him yet again and it could be a moment of spiritual reawakening, a moment of spiritual revival in our souls that we would say, Jesus, come and be Lord of my life. Come and fill me with your spirit. Because Paul says in this passage, he says, for in him, that is Christ Jesus and his spirit, he says the whole fullness of the deity of the body dwells bodily. And all of you who receive him are filled in him, who is the head and rule over all authority. And did you catch that? He is the head and rule over all authority. So no matter what trial we are facing, no matter what struggle we are facing in our lives, we need to not look to other sources to find comfort and to find healing or to find knowledge or wisdom when our trials and struggles come. Because this is oftentimes when we divert to these other practices that Paul warns us against. Instead, we need to reach towards the Christ. We need to not reach towards food for emotional therapy. We need to not 
reach towards other spiritual meditations. We need to not reach towards abusive relationships or abusive substances. But we need to turn to Christ and say, Christ, become Lord of my life. A couple weeks ago, we said that in Christ, the fullness of all wisdom and knowledge dwells. I don't know about you, but when I'm in struggle, when I'm in a place of trial, what I need is wisdom and knowledge. What I need is, God, what do I do now? What do I do next? What I don't need to do is to go binge on a bunch of McDonald's or some other substance that hinders my life. Instead, I need to turn towards life. And that is found in Christ. And so I want you to know that Jesus is in pursuit of all of us this morning and that he wants to be Lord of our lives and he wants to transform our lives, that he wants to be Lord over our thoughts. He wants to be Lord over our values. He wants to be Lord over our relationships. He wants to be the Lord over our work and play. He wants to be Lord over our pocketbook and on our calendar. And he wants to be Lord over our heart. And he does these things not to oppress us, but to give us life and life abundantly. And so this morning in this place where maybe you came in this morning finding that Jesus was far away, or you felt like he was very far away, or you felt like you were very far away from him, I want you to know that Christ is incredibly near this morning. The Spirit is with us. The Spirit is filling us up, that He is in us, and that He loves us. And that there is nothing that we can do to make Christ love us less. That the amount that Christ loves us now is the same amount as that He loved us when He went to the cross to die for us. And that there is nothing that we can do in all of eternity to change His mind about the level in which He loves us. There's nothing that you and I could do where Jesus would say, you know what, I'm going to go back in time and not do that cross thing. There's nothing that we can do. He's going to go to the cross 10 out of 10 times for us, no matter what we've done. So I want you to know that his love for you has been the same for all ages, for all eternity, and that there's nothing that we can do about that. We can just either receive it or reject it. And it's my prayer this morning that we would look to Jesus and that we would say, yes, I receive your love this morning. I receive your heart for me this morning. I receive what you have for me in your <laughs> spirit for me this morning and the good plans that you have prepared for me. And so what I find is that in our trial and when suffering comes, we kind of ask this question of like, well, what do we do next? Or maybe we're just in this place of like, all right, I'm ready to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm ready to receive him again. I'm ready to make him center. What do I do next? What do I do now? Because we always want to do something. We always want to prove something. We always want to say, I'm worthy. I made it right. I fixed it. And the reality is that there's nothing that we can do to make it right or to fix it. The only thing that we can do is to look on him, Jesus, who's the one that does the fixing who's the one that makes it right. And we just have to humbly receive. And that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do, to just to receive that much grace, that much love. There's got to be some strings attached somewhere. But what we must do if we're going to make Lord over our lives, Jesus Lord over our lives, is that we must stop moving and start looking. And just start looking and watching at what Christ has done. What has Christ done in your life? 
What are ways that he is moving in your heart right now? What are ways that he has moved in the past that you know is true that came from him that brings thanksgiving to your life? We just need to stop and look at him who makes things right and okay again. And then there's this kind of delicate balance of what it is to receive Christ, of what, what do we do? Because the first thing that we have to do is just receive. The first thing that we must do is watch and observe. But we can't just sit there to this question of, well, what do we do next? These are the same people that were with Peter on the day of Pentecost when Peter said, hey, you guys killed Jesus. And they're like, uh-oh, what do we do? What should we do? And Peter replies to them, he says, repent and turn back to life. Repent and accept Jesus and be baptized into life with him and receive his forgiveness. And so again, this repenting, although it is our work, although we turn, it is something that starts in Christ. It's something that Christ does in us. It's something that Spirit moves in us and where we begin to say, I want to turn from those things that were once central in my life and I want to turn and make Christ central in my life again and receive his forgiveness. Again, it's something that he has done. The forgiveness that he gives us. It's just saying, hey, I want that to be the center of my life now. And then finally, Paul tells us this morning, he says that we should receive Christ. And then it says, walk in him. And then he says, as we are walking, we should find ourselves being rooted, built up, and established. And the thing about these words being this, these words of rooted, built up, and established is that they're in the passive voice. They're not something that we can actively do. It's not something that we can do is like lay out our roots and say, I'm going to be planted here. But it's something that Christ does in us. It says, it's kind of this idea is as you are going, as you are walking with Christ, as you are in relationship with him, you're going to find yourself more rooted. You're going to find yourself more built up. You're going to find yourself more established kind of like a healthy marriage and God gives us marriage as this kind of symbolic relationship of what it is between himself and the church and himself and us and so when you get married you find yourself with this person and as you spend time walking with them what happens your lives become rooted together your lives end up working in a way that your spouse ends up building you up and at 25 years, at 50 years, we look at that relationship and we say, man, that's an established relationship. They've gone through some stuff. It's been hard. There's been some struggles. There's been times of distance. There's been times of intimacy. But man, after 20, there's been faithfulness through it all. This relationship is established. And we can look at that and we say that no matter what comes to that couple's way, we know that they are not going to be rocked. And it's true for us. It's true for us with Jesus. As we walk with him, we begin rooted. We begin to be built up and we begin to become established. And so I want to look at kind of these three places where I believe that Christ looks for us to be rooted, built up, and established in him. And I believe that the first place is that it is in his spirit. The second place is that it's in his word. And the third place is that it's in his body. And so in his spirit, what we find is that in his spirit, by his spirit coming and filling us and indwelling us, we are rooted to life itself. We abide. It's a word that we don't use very often, this word of abide. It's this word of rest. It's this word of being present too. There's times where we come to church and we're like, 
God, make yourself known. Come near to me. Come near to me. We feel like we've got to like say the right words and do the right things for God to show up. But the reality is that God is near all the time. What we need to do is just stop and abide. We're the ones that need to become present to him, not the other way around. And we do this through his spirit and through resting and through abiding and through knowing that no matter what we face, God's got it. And by his glory, it's going to be okay. The second thing that the Spirit does is that he encourages us. He encourages us in our time of trial. He speaks to our hearts. He gives us wisdom. He gives us thoughts and words and actions that moments ago we were like, I never would have thought of that. Or he brings about circumstance that you never would have believed to be possible. It's through his Spirit that he does these things. A very practical example is that my grandfather at the time of his wife's death, my grandmother's death, was estranged from his sister. And she was in Arizona with her son. They're snowbirds, and so they're down in Arizona. And by God's grace and by God's goodness, by his spirit, he moved in <laughs> uh, my cousin to send my grandpa's sister to Michigan for one day. Flew her in and flew her out. And as a family, we looked at that moment and we're like, that was a miracle of God. Like, who just does that? Who just says, hey, I don't care what the flight costs. Get on a plane. Go see your brother who's treated you poorly, who's treated you terribly, who has created this disconnect. And the Spirit of God encourages us and moves us in real ways that brings real healing to real people in real places. And I will tell you that as my aunt was near and as she was present with us, there was just healing that filled that room. And it wasn't healing that... My aunt brought, but it was healing that the Holy Spirit brought through her and through our extended family. And so the Holy Spirit comes and he encourages us. And that's the idea of being built up. And then finally, we're established. We're established by his Spirit. Ephesians says that his Holy Spirit seals us for the day of resurrection so that in his Spirit we can have confidence that when we're placed in that box at the end of the day, that someday we're coming out of it. Amen? That someday... The dry bones of the valley are going to come together and be resurrected, putting on flesh and tendon and blood. And we're going to be reunited as a family and a community of worshiping God again. And that is good news. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. That's the thing that gets me most excited about following Christ is that someday I get to come back to life. Because I don't know about you, but for as much trouble and much trial that there is in this life, I love this life. I love life. And I cannot imagine what life is going to be like when we are in the fullness of the presence of God in his glory. The second place that we find rootedness and built up an establishment is in his word. We have to get into his word. We have to study his word. In his word is where he speaks wisdom and truth and life and gives us instructions as how to live out this life. He teaches us and he corrects us. He corrects our heart. If we're reading the Bible and our heart is never offended, I think we're doing it wrong. Because it's here to correct us. It's here to change us. It's here to give us wisdom and guide us towards life and towards loving one another. We get rooted in Him. It's in His Word that we are built up into righteousness. That because of these teachings, because of how He loves us and the way that His Spirit works in us and the way that we 
move that we would live a life of righteousness being built up in that and that we would be established so that we would not be deceived any longer by sin's deceitfulness. That we would no longer turn to these philosophies and empty deceits. That we would no longer turn to the traditions of man. That we would no longer turn <coughs> to alternative spiritual practices, but that we'd be established in him. And then finally, we are rooted and established in the body, in his church. That we are rooted as a community and as a new family. And so we're rooted here, and we try to practice that here at Damascus Road West and Damascus Road Park Street. We are rooted together by coming together every Sunday, by coming into each other's lives, by sharing life together, by supporting one another, by celebrating births, by, <laughs> by helping each other out, by encouraging one another in times of struggle. We are rooted in this new family that's established in Christ. We're encouraged, as the church is the one place where Christ gets to put on flesh these days. Sometimes it's really hard to worship God. Sometimes it's hard to know that God is near. Sometimes you need someone in flesh and blood saying, I love you. I forgive you. You're accepted. You need somebody that comes in your time of need and time of struggle and just sit with you and remind you of what is true and what is good in the world and that what Christ has done for us. And so we are built up through one another, through Christ living in us. That is the body. And then finally, we're established as the church that is to be the light of the world for the entire world. The church should be a place, we should be this community where the world looks and says, I want a piece of that. Whatever it is that they have, whatever it is that is going on in their life, I want that. I want Christ. And it's from these places, from his spirit, from his body, from his word, that we find our lives overflowing with thanksgiving. And it's really this kind of idea of thanksgiving that is at the heart of this passage this morning. At the heart of Paul's passage is one, is are we centered with Christ? But then finally, is our, our lives filled with thanksgiving? Because what I find is that when we are not thankful, when our lives are not filled with thanksgiving, when our lives, <laughs> when troubles come, we often divert our eyes, and from our mouths often comes grumbling and complaining and frustration, and then from quickly there, we turn to these hollow philosophies and empty deceits. We turn to human tradition, and we turn to alternative spiritual practices. And so it's in our gratitude that we remain and that we keep Christ center. And so in, this, in the New Testament, there is this amazing prayer of faith. This amazing prayer of faith. This man, his son, is dying and he comes up to Jesus, and he's like, you know, can you please heal my son? And he says, well, do you believe it? Do you believe that I can heal your son? And he says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And Jesus heals his son. And I think that this is the prayer kind of of our hearts and of our age as we seek to make Christ center of our lives and reflect on what he has done for us is that we say, Jesus, I believe, and help me in my times of unbelief. Help me be thankful in my times where it is going to be more easy to complain. Help me believe when I don't want to become present to you. Give me faith where most people, faith would crumble. And I think that this is our honest prayer. And maybe it's our honest prayer as a church this morning is this idea of, Lord, 
I believe, but I need you to help me in my unbelief. So this morning as we close, I kind of want to return to the initial question of this morning. What will people remember us by? What will be said in those couple hundred words by those who love us, by those who know us the most, by those who've been affected by our lives? What will they say? Will they say that Christ is center? And so maybe this morning we are in this place of wanting to take that step for the first time. Or maybe we're in that place where we're taking that step to make Christ central for the hundredth time. But I pray that this morning that as we continue in worship that we would be moved and that we would ask the Holy Spirit to come and say, Jesus, I believe, I want you to be central. Help me in my doubting and unbelief. Help me. You come and you transform me. You come and you make me rooted and established. Give me a desire for your word. Give me a desire for your church. Give me a desire to sit and be present to your spirit. So that is our prayer for you this morning. And it's our prayer for us as we go out of this place into this week. That Christ would slowly, or maybe even quickly and abruptly this morning, find himself in the rightful place as Lord over our lives. That we would receive him as Lord. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Lord God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we have to study your word. God, I pray that you would root us, that you would build us up, that you would encourage us, and that you would establish us in your spirit, in your word, and in your community, in your body. God, I pray that whatever is central to our lives right now, that we would give those things up and that we would turn to you and that you would replace that that you would take that place over in our lives. And God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, give us the grace and the humility to accept your love as maybe we feel unlovable this morning, as maybe we feel incredibly distant. God, help us believe these truths that you are near and that you want to come running towards us, that you want to throw your robe and your signet ring upon us. God, destroy the lives that Maybe we could just come back and be a servant. God, may you make yourself real to us in intimate and personal ways this week. We love you and we thank you for all that you've done. In your name that we pray, amen.